bwenzi latu yesu atikonda konda fe tipunzitse buye yesu tikondane nanu tu disaiwali re Tina Lee, Chico, 
find that uh, today uh, is our last day of meeting. So from here, we have our session, uh, which is entitled Dating and uh, Courtship. It will be presented by Paul Bausham Jr. And then don't forget that from 1830 to 2030, we'll meet in the main hall where we'll have the last closing uh, session, which will be handled by Pastor Rob Vettola. So may I ask that we stand and sing hymn number 63, grace in supplement entitled, um, is, this, uh, is this love? So we stand and sing hymn number 63 from our grace in supplement. Thank you for singing. I will ask uh, Pastor Chisenga, Louis Chisenga, to give us uh, the opening prayer. Shall we pray? Our dear Heavenly Father, we thank you very much for the time that have allowed us to continue through this day. It's my prayer that we are entering this session. We ask for your illumination, your guidance, your understanding, so that 
Well, good afternoon. Now we've had lunch. So this session is going to be a little more interactive so that I don't have to go wake anybody up or so that nobody has to come wake me up, right? Um, so it's always interesting when we have a session like this. This session is about um, courtship and dating. And it's always interesting to have a session like this because essentially... I'm being asked to, asked to talk about something or to talk about what the Bible has to say about something that the Bible has nothing to say about. <laughs> Dating is not a biblical concept. Amen, somebody. Right? It's not a biblical concept. And so before we get into this, what I want to do is sort of set up the parameters and talk about why this is so difficult for us. If we take ourselves back, um, to the not so distant past, um, if we take ourselves back, not even to biblical times, even to just times, you know, a couple of hundred years ago, what you would find is people um, marrying uh, in their teens. It would have just been a normal thing for people to marry in their teens. And so the, the, the interesting thing about that is that from a biological and physiological perspective, uh, that, that has always made a lot of sense. People mature, they enter into uh, physical, physiological adulthood uh, during those years. And so marriage would happen during those years. But over the years, marriage has been delayed more and more. And the primary cause for that has been uh, really the Industrial Revolution. Um, prior to the Industrial Revolution, what does a man need in order to support a family? This is where the participation part comes in. Anybody? Before the Industrial Revolution, what does a man need in order to support a family? What's that? What? A piece of land. If you've got a piece of land and you know how to take care of a piece of land, and you know how to take care of, you know, animals, and you've got a, 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 you know, a cow for milk or a goat for milk, and you've got some chickens and you can get eggs, and, you know, you have some layers and some broilers, um, you, you can, you know, um, you got some maize, right? You can make you some maize meal and some shima. You, you're good. Okay. The industrial revolution comes along and now all of a sudden entering into the workforce becomes a thing, not just having a piece of land, but entering into industry. And that requires more time, more skill, more education, right? So now we go from 
a young man basically needing a piece of land and a couple of animals to him needing um, education uh, and a, a trade or some kind of job in industry. And so we see people getting married later. And as we progress beyond the industrial revolution to the technological revolution, that moves back even further to where now, instead of people being married in their teens, uh, people are moving marriage back to the late 20s and really approaching the 30s to where people are starting to be married. And that has a whole host of issues associated with it. Um, a, a number of things that we see uh, associated with that from infertility to a whole bunch of other issues. But one of the major things associated with it is this concept of dating as we understand it. So there used to be a pretty short window between the time that you developed biologically and physiologically into an adult to where you became a, a sexual being, right? And the time when you would marry, which is the Bible's legitimate outlet and purpose for the expression of your sexual being. Amen? My, like, amen should have been right there. Let me, let me, we're going to try that again. I'm going to back up. We're going to try, we're going to try that one more time. Okay. So, yeah. So now there's the, this big gap between, you know, when you become the sexual being and when you enter into marriage, which is God's outlet and purpose for you as a sexual being. Okay. All right. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. Um, so, what do we do then? It's very interesting. What we've done is we haven't gotten rid of that uh, tendency for young men and young women to enter into that exclusive, almost covenantal relationship. We've just delayed marriage. So we've created quasi-marriage we've created a relationship that has many of the um tendencies many of the hallmarks of the biblical relationship which is marriage uh, but it's not that and so the idea for example that people would be a couple and not be married that's a very recent phenomenon, right? That people would be a couple and that they would not be married. That, that, that you know, teenagers would, would talk about being single again. <laughs> I mean, every time I hear that, I just, what? What, what? what does that even mean? What does that even mean? Well, it means you know that right now I'm not in a relationship. No, no, no. Being single again is what people say when their spouse dies or they get a divorce, which is exactly what's happening. Young people are entering into exclusive, committed relationships that mirror the marriage relationship. 
They are essentially playing marriage. And then when it ends, they are essentially experiencing micro divorces. And it's, it's crazy. It's devastating. I, I remember I didn't always have, you know, all this right here. I was, I was a young man in love before too, right? <laughs> my girlfriend lost my girlfriend playing my breakup songs, you know? <laughs> Oh, don't act like you don't know what, okay. And so, again, we've created this. Now, let's put this within the context of Christianity. So, as Christians, we are committed to the Lord Jesus Christ. We are committed to sexual purity. And we're also committed to this cultural practice of quasi-marriage where we say when we get into a relationship we're not single anymore by the way if a person's not single from a biblical perspective what are they thank you y'all are paying attention okay if you're not single you're married if you're not married you're single but people get into these exclusive relationships and don't want to call themselves single anymore it's a it's a quasi marriage and then here's what we do, because we're Christians. We say, I am committed to you and to you exclusively because I want to be a person of character. So we're dating. By the way, a date used to mean you make an arrangement, right? That's where the term comes from, set a date, right? You set a date and make an arrangement to meet somewhere, to go somewhere, and to experience something. So, you know, there's a there's a dance and we're going to meet. I'm going to pick you up. We're going to meet somewhere and we're going to go to the dance. It's a date, right? That's what it used to mean. Now, dating means quasi-marriage. I'm not single anymore. I'm 15, 16, 17 years old and I'm not single anymore. I belong to another. Again, that's a biblical category reserved only for marriage belonging exclusively to another okay and so now i'm a christian so i want to be committed and i want to be faithful so i'm committed exclusively to you so emotionally i belong to you and then we're christians so we both got to be christians so we got to have a spiritual relationship and we got to develop our spiritual relationship so we have an emotional relationship and a spiritual relationship, but because we're Christians, we're going to commit to not having a physical relationship, sexual relationship. Okay. I think it's better to say sexual relationship because here's what happens. What happens is the law of diminishing returns. Okay. So, the physical follows the emotional and the spiritual. Okay. And we fool ourselves and we say, no, we're going to deepen our spiritual commitment. We're going to deepen our emotional commitment, but we're going to avoid the ultimate physical commitment. You know what that's like? That's like getting in a bathtub, putting hot water in the front and making a commitment to not let it get to the back. <laughs> So here's what we do. This spiritual and emotional commitment, 
was designed by God to manifest itself physically. God did not design us to commit ourselves covenantally to one another only partway. And so what happens is there's this law of diminishing returns. First, first, I'm satisfied just gazing into your eyes. That's enough, right? Go home, heart is all a flutter. What did you do? We just gazed into each other's eyes. Oh, that's so cute. But then that doesn't satisfy like it used to. So now you touch each other's hand. And it's cool because now it's like, wow. Like that, that, that spark that we used to have from gazing into each other's eyes. Now we touch each other's hands and it's like, bam, whole new thing, right? Until it's not. And then we don't want to touch each other's hand. We want to hold each other's hand. And, and then we don't want to just hold each other's hands. We want to hold each other. And, and then we don't want to just hold each other. We want to kiss each other. And then we don't want to stop me if you've seen this movie, right? It's the law of diminishing returns. And so let's put these two things together. We reach physiological adulthood where we are physiologically capable of being married and reproducing. But because of these cultural changes and nuances, we now have 10, 15 years where we're ready for that, but we put it off. And in those 10 or 15 years where we're ready for it and we put it off, we enter into quasi-marriages where we give ourselves to one another exclusively, emotionally, and spiritually and try to fight not to follow through physically. Help you if you think that's a healthy thing. It ain't. Not it's not. It ain't. That's stronger than it's not, right? <laughs> there is nothing in the world healthy about that. And here's the sad reality. The sad reality is that, again, some of you would be surprised and shocked uh, but many of you wouldn't because you know you, you, some of you would be shocked to know how many of our fellow committed godly reformed baptist young men and young women are already sexually active because since they were in their early teens they've been giving themselves covenantally to another which God designed to happen in marriage, committing themselves emotionally, committing themselves spiritually, and, and believing that that could go on and grow and deepen and not become physical. And then they often learn the hard way that the physical naturally follows that spiritual and that emotional. Now, am I saying that it's impossible? No, that, that, that's not what I'm saying. But, but what I'm saying is, it's unwise. Mm -hmm. Jesus said temptations will come, but 
woe to the one through whom the temptation comes. It's one thing for me to be tempted as a natural process of living in the world. It's another thing for me to engage in practices that by their design set me up for extra and ultra temptation. But essentially, essentially, that's what we've done. Because, because in large part, because of this huge gap, right? And because of us just not knowing what to do with this huge gap, with this 10, 15 year gap. And unfortunately for many in that 10 or 15 year gap, they've experienced three, four, five, seven exclusive committed relationships, quasi marriages, that ended in many divorces. So now let's fast forward. I've been in five, seven committed relationships where I said, it's you and me exclusively. It's a quasi marriage. I made the same commitment that married people make to one another, but I wasn't married. And then things weren't so nice and we ended it. I did that four, five, seven times. Now I decide I'm finished with my master's degree. Um, I have enough job money in the bank. Um, I, I'm, a, I'm approaching 30. Um, let's go ahead. We're going to get married. And now we get married. Now things get tough in my marriage. And four, five, seven other times, I've made very similar exclusive covenantal commitments. And when it got hard, what did I do? Huh? What's my natural inclination going to be? Anybody? Quit. To quit. And as somebody who's counseled couples for years and continues to do so, I am here to tell you, it is far more common than you think. Far more common than you think. So there's the, there's the, the setup. There's the, the difficulty. There's the, the problem. I, I want to point you to some, some, some hope. Okay. Uh, what time do we? 16. 16. Okay, so I'm supposed to do questions at 15.30. We'll have some intermittently, but okay. All right. Uh, if you have your Bibles with you, open them to the forbidden book. <laughs> huh? Open them to the forbidden book. Do we know what that book is? What, 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 what? Song of Solomon. Song of Solomon. Song of Solomon. I know people out there are like, wait a minute. I thought this was a Reformed Baptist meeting. Serious Christians don't read that book. 
Think about how crazy that is, right? I'm a serious Christian, so there's a book in the Bible that I consider off limits. Um, no. All right. All right. So, Song of Solomon. A couple of things. Let's put this in its context. Song of Solomon is wisdom literature. Okay? It's poetic. It's wisdom literature, and it's poetic. It's very important to keep that in mind. Um, you know, we need to... We need to we need to understand the type of literature that we're reading. We don't read all of the Bible the same way. And unfortunately, people tend to do that. They'll take a verse from over here in the wisdom literature and a verse from over here in the law and then a verse from over here in the gospels. And because they use the same word, they'll say, no, this is what, no, 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 no. Okay. If you find a letter that I've written, um, I'm, I'm Dean of the School of Divinity at, at African Christian University. You find a letter that I've written and I've signed it as the Dean of the School of Divinity at ACU, um, then, then you would read that one way, right? Mm -hmm. Like this is an official, right? Letterhead, it's, this is gonna be official academic business. You find a letter that I wrote to my wife, you better not read it. <laughs> But if you did, you wouldn't read it the same way that you would read the official letter that I've written in my capacity as a dean. I could use the same word in each of those letters, right? And it would mean something completely different, right? Same word, but it would mean something completely different because of the type of literature. All right. So Song of Solomon is wisdom literature. Wisdom literature is not law. It doesn't lay down rules. It's about principles. And it's also poetic. There are three approaches to the book. Three basic approaches. One is a symbolic approach, right? That this is an allegory and everything in it is symbolic. Um, another one is a literal approach. Um, that, that, that this is a... You know, a, a literal, this is literal writing um, about a particular relationship. Another is a redemptive historic approach. That, that there are things in here that are literal and things in here that are symbolic. But ultimately, the best way to understand the Song of Solomon is to put it within the context of redemptive history. Put it within the context for example, of the relationship between Christ and his bride, the church. And that is our ultimate template for understanding the truth in and behind the Song of Solomon. Song of Solomon is about looking back at a love relationship through song. Okay. And really, there are six snapshots in the Song of Solomon. And, you know, we won't have time to, to, to go through the book, but I just want to give you a, kind of a picture, kind of an overview. Not as much as last time with Revelation. No S. Um, snapshot number one, attraction. That's chapter one, verses one through eight. Attraction. Okay. And, and by the way, this is important because this is another thing. One of the things that gets us in trouble is that we lie, right? We try to be so holy, right? 
And no, we're so holy. No, I'm looking for a mate. I'm looking for godliness. And, and no, come on now. Come on now. Stop lying. There are things you're attracted to. Amen, somebody. And there's things you're not attracted to, right? We need to be honest about that. The attraction plays a role in this process. And I've actually had people ask me, you know, that question because, you know, we, we, we get so, so heady and so holy that, you know, we're, we're like to, 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 to want something and to be attracted to something, it, it must mean that it's not godly because everybody knows that real Christians have no fun and like nothing. <laughs> they just do it because it's godly. No. Attraction. Attraction is real. And attraction is providential. Attraction is providential. Right? Think about this. There are, there are, you know, probably, now let me back up before I say this. And let me say what I don't believe. Do not believe for a moment in this sort of romanticized, you know, wide-eyed Cupid's arrow version of the one, 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 one. <laughs> Everybody's all scared, you know, is this, is this the one? And how do you know if it's the one? And how do you know if it's the right one? And, you know, yada, yada, you know, and I, my kids asked me this, Dad, how, how, did you, how did you know that mom was the one? She said, I do. And that made her the one. Amen, somebody. Okay, because here's the problem. The problem is, you know, we have these wide-eyed notions of, you know, the, when, it's, when it's the one and, you know, and you're just going to, right? And then we're going to get married and, you know, our love will be the love to end all loves. And there will be no love in the history of love that has loved as much as the love that we have within this loving love that we share. I mean, it just is it, right? Because, because it's the one. And then you get married and you're like a month end and you're going, I don't like this person sometimes. And if you're... If you hold on to that theology of the one, guess what you start asking yourself? I wonder if I married the wrong one. Because everybody knows that if it's the one, 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 that it's all butterflies and rose petals. Well, somebody lied to you. Amen? So, somebody lied to you. What is the greatest, most significant marriage in the world? Huh? Christ and the church. Now, when Christ gave himself for his bride, was it because she was the one, one, one? And because he felt butterflies and heard music and heard, no, he said, daddy, if there's any other way, 
Let let this bitter cup pass from me. <laughs> me, I don't want, right? So again, this is not this this is not this is not the picture. And I've often said, you know, especially talking to husbands who who struggle with this, like, okay, when are you most Christ-like? When your wife is meeting your every need and you just can't think of anything more or better or when she's not and you lay it down anyway. You see, the problem is that whole the one, one, one lies to us. So we believe that when it's time to lay it down, that we've made a mistake. And nothing can be further from the truth. Okay. So attraction is real and attraction is providence. Now, let me make the point that I was going to make. And you needed to hear that first about the whole the one or whatever. They're, they're, they're probably thousands of, of women that I could have married and, and it would have been fine. Right? Godly women love the Lord and would love me and we could, right? Could have, could have been fine. But providentially, God placed into me certain desires, preferences, and, and, and providentially, he did the same for her. And providentially, because of those desires and preferences that God placed within us, we, we, we ended up marrying each other and not one of uh, thousands of other people. You follow? So, so don't, don't knock this. That's a part of providence, okay? It, it's, it's not the only thing. It's not the most important thing, but it is an important thing. Attraction. Chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. Then there's intimacy and courtship. That's 1, 9 through 3, 11. 1, 9 through 3, 11. Then there's marriage and honeymoon and sex. That's 4, 1 through 5, 1. Stop it. Don't turn there. <laughs> And people are like, okay, I'm done right now. I'm going to chapter four. I'm gonna but again, there's marriage and honeymoon and, and sex. Okay? And there's much to learn there. Um, you know, one of the one of the interesting things is that for many Christians, um, sex is just such a taboo subject. And so we have Christian children being raised to become Christian adults who've never been taught about sex from a biblical perspective. And yet, they're going to get married, and guess what's going to happen? Anybody? Anybody? Yes. Yes. Right? And we're like, no, you need to know about this, you need to know about that, you need to prepare for this, you need to prepare for that. And then all of a sudden, they're coming to me because they're having issues 
with their sex life because their loving Christian family decided to teach them about everything else but not touch on that. Our God doesn't do that. He addresses sex in his instructions to his children. If you can't say amen, you ought to say ouch. I don't write the mail, I just deliver it. Okay? <laughs> and it's in here. Um, then, the fourth, con the, the fourth snapshot is conflict. Conflict. And it's interesting how this goes, right? Because having done, you know, marriage conference, conferences and marriage counseling and weddings and, you know, and premarital counseling and all this sort of stuff, um, I, I see this. And it goes like this every day. There's attraction. There's intimacy and courtship. There's marriage, honeymoon, sex. <laughs> and there's conflict. There's conflict. And God's not surprised by that. It's in his book. We get surprised by that and want to run away because somehow somebody convinced us that, that if you, and by the way, this is a very pagan idea. The idea that fate will bring you the one and when it's the right one that you won't have all of the, that's a very pagan idea. Okay. So attraction, intimacy, marriage, honeymoon, sex, by the way, I want you to note something that sex and intimacy are not synonymous. Intimacy is a part of sex, but it's not the same thing. And this is where people get in trouble. Okay. Intimacy. Let me give you a simple definition of intimacy. Intimacy happens when I let you into a part of my life that's not readily available to everybody else. Let me explain. I tell you my name, that's not, that's not being intimate. I got a name tag on, right? That's, that's not being intimate. But if I say, listen, I've never told another person this. I'm being intimate. And it's interesting. Affairs start with intimacy. You know, I just love talking to you. The things I can't talk to my wife about. I just said, there's a part of me that I'm giving to you that I'm not giving to my wife. And if I say that often enough, eventually I'll give you the part of me that I'm only supposed to give to my wife. Are you following me? So, Intimacy is a part of a sexual relationship, but they're not synonymous. And we need to build intimacy. Here's the other thing. If intimacy is a part of a sexual relationship, this explains what I said earlier. Because if I'm 14, 15, 17, 18, 21 years old, and I'm saying I'm not single anymore, and I've given myself to you exclusively, and then we're going to have an emotional relationship and a spiritual relationship. What's another word for that? What's another word for it? Intimacy. We're going to have intimacy. And I just told you, intimacy is not sex, 
but it leads to sex and is an important part of sex, which is why when you pour the hot water in the front of the tub, the back gets hot. Attraction, intimacy, courtship, marriage, honeymoon, sex, conflict, then romance. Romance. Chapters 7, 1 through 8, 4. There's romance. Your marriage. What? Yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. And again, I talk to Christian young people who just like, it just blows their mind. You're like, wait, married people are supposed to be romantic? No, married people better be romantic. Amen, somebody. And then finally, commitment. Eight five through the end. And so again, there, there's this wonderful picture of this relationship, this intimate covenant relationship, this intimate man-woman covenant relationship that we follow through this book. So why Song of Solomon? Number one, um, God's design for courtship, marriage, and sex. We, we, this is, so let's go back to the problem that we outlined earlier, right? So we've got this 10, 15 year gap where, where sexual adults physiologically ready for marriage, but for, you know, uh, cultural and historical reasons, we got a 10, 15 year period where we have to be ready for it, but not engage in it. In the midst of that, we're going to enter into quasi marriages where we make commitments that only married people are designed to make, say that we're not single anymore, have emotional exclusivity and intimacy, spiritual exclusivity and intimacy, but we're Christian, so we're going to try to avoid the natural inclination toward the physical exclusivity and intimacy that naturally follows it. And oh, by the way, my church and my family are not teaching me about these things other than to say, it's bad, don't do it. But everything in you knows it's not bad. Amen? If it was bad, you wouldn't be here. <laughs> so now that makes it this forbidden thing that you're even more curious about and getting no information on, right? Do, do, you, see, do you see this, this whirlwind that we're creating here? Okay. So God's design for courtship, marriage, sex. Um, secondly, Song of Solomon is important because we need to counter the world's lies. The world has sold us a bill of goods. And if you've seen a movie in the last 20 years, you, you, you've been sold that bill of goods, right? Um, the, the, the whole idea of, of, of romance and all of this, the way we think about it, uh, comes to us through this sort of fairy tale, romantic comedy perspective that creates unrealistic 
um, unattainable expectations, which leads to incredible frustration when people finally get married. Okay. So we need to counter the world's lies. And, and here's the great irony. The great irony is that this lie that they're selling pales in comparison to the real thing that God has given us. It pales in comparison to the real thing God has given us. Okay. There are people who are out there just as empty as they can be trying to convince themselves that the, that the next sexual partner is going to be the one, 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 right? That the next relationship is going to, the next, the next, the next, the next. And they just grow emptier and emptier. Thirdly, avoid the pain that accompanies the current model. It's devastating. It's devastating. And some of you have experienced that devastation. Right? It, it, it is. And so anything that we can do to mitigate that, um, we, we, we need to do it. All right. Um, wow. Okay, I wanted to look at at least the, 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 the first part here, but um, let me do a couple of things to see if we can, we can get to that before we do our questions. In traditional cultures, uh, marriages are arranged by families. I mean, historically, this is the way things have happened, right? You don't just send your kids off and hope they come back with a good one, right? Um, you, you, if, if you're Abraham, you, you tell your most trusted servant, Put your hand under my thigh and swear. That's what he did. Trust me, it was a thing. Okay. But but but, but swear to me. Swear to me a couple of things. Number one, you're not gonna find a wife for my boy from around here. Number two, you're gonna go and you're gonna find a boy for my wife among our kindred and our people. And, and, and the servant goes, and he doesn't even talk to Isaac. Talks to the servant, right? When does he talk to Isaac? I don't know. When he goes, hey, Isaac, servant brought you something. But that's traditional story. And it starts with character and seeks romance. It starts with character and seeks romance. We go the opposite way around. We start with romance and hope we end up with character. And you know what that ends up resulting in? What that ends up resulting in is the person who is just hopelessly devoted. Y'all seen Grease? Y'all don't even know that movie. The person who's just, is just, just hopelessly devoted to someone who's got bad character, who's not a Christian, but you've already given yourself to them. And so now you start making justifications, right? You start doing all, you're going through all of these mental gymnastics to excuse the lack of character because you started with romance. In modern culture, Marriages independent of families. It's a little little different in um, 
in, in modern African cultures, not completely different, right? Um, not completely different. In, in, in most modern African cultures, we have the facade of family involvement, but it's just that, it's a facade. You go off and find somebody, you get committed, right? And, and then after you've already made your decision, they come and they bring plates. And you go through the formality with the family. So that we then pat ourselves on the back and go, look how family oriented we are, right? We had absolutely nothing to do with it by the time before it got to us, right? Is this thing on? Um, again, so so there's 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 sort of a facade of the family involvement. Um, so we send our children off hoping they come back with a good one. And even traditionalists, you know, who ask for a woman's hand in marriage, right? Even traditionalists who go through the whole process, right? That like they've they've already gotten what they want. They're just going through a formality. There was a song. It's a real popular song all over the place several years ago called Marry Her Anyway, right? And, and uh, the whole premise of the song was the guy went to the dad to ask for the girl's hand in marriage, and the dad said no. And he's like, dude, what's wrong with you? I don't care. I'm going to marry her anyway, right? I was just asking to be polite, okay? Because we've already decided this, you know? Um, and here again, it starts with romance and ends with character or hopes to end with character in this first segment in song of Solomon. We two, you see two things. We see this reference to name and heart, um, character and submission. Um, wow. Let's just, let's just look, let's just look real quick here. Um, Song of Solomon, chapter 1, verse 1. The Song of Songs, which is Solomon's. Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for your love is better than wine. Man, see, now we... This, we, we had a Baptist conference talking about kissing and wine. Lord have mercy, we're in trouble. I'm going to get disciplined somehow. <laughs> Your anointing oils are fragrant. Your name is oil poured out. That's your character. Okay? That's your character. Therefore, virgins love you. Why? Because of your character. Because of your name. Draw me after you. Let us run. The king has brought me into his chambers. We will exult and rejoice in you. We will extol your love more than wine. Rightly do they love you. I am dark but lovely, O daughters of Jerusalem, like the tents of Kedar, like the curtains of Solomon. Do not gaze at me because I am dark, because the sun has looked upon me. My mother's sons were angry with me. They made me keeper of the vineyards, but my own vineyards I have not kept. So she's talking about her physical appearance that she hasn't been able to keep up. Tell me, you whom my soul loves, where you pasture your flocks, where you make it lie down at noon. For 
why should I be like one who veils herself beside the flocks of your companions? What does that have to do? It has to do with character. I'm not coming to you in secret. I'm coming to you in public. This whole, again, if we had time, this whole section here is about character and about the attractiveness of character. It's not exclusive, right? Your fragrance, your aromas, and all this other stuff. It's not exclusive, but it is preeminent. This is about character, first and foremost. Your name, and then for her, what makes her attractive, right? Outwardly, she says, you know, I haven't been able to take care of myself because of the things that I was forced to do. Um, and yet, what's this whole book about? How crazy he is about her in spite of the fact that she has not been physically pampered and preserved like some of the other women. There are things that are more important than that. And she has those things that are more important than that. Okay. Um, so, okay. Um, it's 1530. Let me read a little bit more. If you do not know, oh, most beautiful among women, stop right there. Don't miss this. She says, I haven't taken care of my skin. Right. Essentially, that's what she's saying. I haven't taken care of my skin. You know, she she's not the, the rich pampered girl with all the beauty products and, you know, with 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 the with the soft skin and all of this because she's been pampered. Her her, her hands are probably coarse and and her skin is, is hasn't been taken care of like that. And so she's self-conscious about this. She's self-conscious about her appearance. And what does he say the first time he speaks? If you do not know, oh, most beautiful among women, follow in the tracks of the flock and pasture your young goats beside the shepherd's tents. I compare you, my love, to a mare among Pharaoh's chariots. By the way, Pharaoh's chariots are pulled by stallions. He said to her, compared to you, all the other women look like men. Huh? This serious stuff right here, y'all. But you see this though, right? You see that there is this attraction, but what is chief among all of it? The character, right? It's not character without any attraction. It's character that enhances attraction. Okay? Okay, your cheeks are lovely with ornaments, your neck with strings of jewels. We will make for you ornaments of gold studded with silver. What? Okay, I'm going to stop because you would just, okay, I'm going to stop. But you get the point, right? You get the point. Um, and those six vignettes, I think, are incredibly important for us. We need to have a, a, a full-orbed biblical understanding and view of attraction and of courtship and of, of marriage and sex and, and, of, and of marital conflict and of resolution of that conflict and romance and commitment, okay? That's a very different picture 
than the one that is painted for us by our culture. So in the midst of this this sort of dead zone, right? That 10, 15 year dead zone. We need this. We need this more than ever. Okay. We need this more than ever. And what I want you to go away from with this is that God has spoken. He has not left us wandering aimlessly in the dark on these incredibly important issues. And, and there is hope and beyond hope. There is beauty and great joy that he has stored up for us. Amen? All right. Maybe not what you were expecting from this session, but it's what you got. Ask me your questions. No, I'm not going to read chapter four. Okay, yes. Oh, sorry. We have to do a little switch. See, I remember. Okay, um, thank you so much. Um, it's really very insightful. Um, so I have a question in view of what you said. What's it is? But uh, my question is uh, what's your advice for young people um, in terms of that? Yeah. Um, would you advise that? They don't get into any kind of relationship. Well, no. See, relationship is a very broad word. I would, I would advise that they don't get into exclusive covenantal relationships. If, if you are not ready to be married and you're in a relationship that's got you saying you're not single anymore, you're in danger. No, don't give it to her. Now go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> um, what should people who are already in these quasi marriages do? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. See, that's a yeah, that's a that's a that's a tough one right there because you know you you're you're already there and you are already experiencing. Um, some of the um, some of the elements that lead to this massive either pain and disappointment and heartache um, or to massive compromise. Right? I've often said that you know being in an exclusive relationship before you're ready to be married. It's like going shopping when you don't have any money. Either you're going to leave frustrated or you're going to take something that doesn't belong to you. Right? Um, and so I would, just, I would just caution people that you need to reevaluate and rethink what this relationship is and what it ought to be. Right? Um, yeah. And, and I think we, if we we really care about people. We don't want to put them in compromising positions and situations. You know, we need, we need to care about them enough to not put them in compromising positions and situations. 
and 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 have good wholesome relationships right learn how to have brother sister you know relationships um but but at the same time be wary of this whole i'm no longer single mentality my question is in the beginning you spoke about how the where are you where are you, where are you? okay there you are okay <laughs> in the beginning you spoke about how there's a 10 to 15 gap between when people are basically ready to be married and better they actually get married and it seems like that gap is getting even bigger yes so is it my question is uh can anything be done about the gap should they need to, to go the other direction. It's get get married. You know, and I, I think part of that too, this is not only my message to young people, but I think more importantly, it's my message to parents, right? Um, because, you know, parents treat marriage, not, we don't intend to, but parents often treat marriage to their kids. They basically say, listen, <laughs> marriage is going to come. But what I want you to do is suck all the joy out of life first. And then go get married to somebody and die. Right? <laughs> be, be, because, because, you know, marriage is just, it's a burden. You know, marriage is going to prevent you from... ABC, XYZ, right? We, we, we treat marriage like this. We don't intend to, right? But if we're not careful, that's what we end up doing. We end up treating marriage like this burden that must be put off as long as possible, right? And so then we have people who put off marriage. We have young women who take their most fertile years and put off marriage. And then they get married and we're looking at them crazy because they're not giving us grandkids. Hmm. That's all I have to say about that. Okay, next question. So, Pastor, you have mentioned how vital it is for someone to be ready to get married before they get involved with a person. Now, you also mentioned the reality of the gap between someone matures and when someone is actually ready to take care of a home. Mm -hmm. Now, within that, uh, this reality of attraction, uh, you mentioned character, attraction, in other situations, those are not always reversed. The process is followed correctly, the character is identified, the attraction is there, and this person has a desire that is growing, but is not yet ready to take care of a home. Do you pray things away? How do you deal with that? No, you don't have to. You don't have to. Well, you might have to pray the feelings away. Um, yeah, but but you know, if you, if my son comes to me and he says, "Dad, I love this girl," and and you know, he's nowhere near ready to to be married. Um, one of the phrases that's repeated in the Song of Solomon is. Do not awaken love before this time. 
Do not awaken love before it is time. We, we defraud one another when we do that, right? And so if you love this person, love them enough to let them go and trust God enough to either bring them to you when you're ready or to bring you someone else. But, 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 but don't be greedy, right? Don't, don't, don't be greedy. Don't say, well, I'm not ready yet. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to hold on to you right here. And I'm going to drag you through my life, right? So that, you know, when I'm ready and, 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 oh, by the way, you know, something better may come along and then I'll let you go. And then I'll drag that person through my life until I'm ready. No, 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 no. Now, don't do that. Right. Don't, don't do that. Don't defraud one another. So are you basically saying stay away as long as you yes. are ready? And if you're not ready to get married, stay, yeah, go somewhere. Okay. <laughs> but again we also have to be we also have to have a more realistic picture of what being ready for marriage is i've talked to some young people right about being ready for marriage and it's like you want your life to be as stable as a 40 year old before you get into a marriage. come on now you know, that's ridiculous that's ridiculous you know you, you, you don't need as much as you think you need in order to be ready to, to, to get married. Yeah. Yes, sir. That was my question. Like, yeah. What are the signs? How does someone yeah. know that they're married or ready to be married? Ready to be married. Yeah, 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 yeah. And so, and, you know, I've talked often about the four P's, right? Um, if, especially for a young man, right? Being ready to be a priest, prophet, provider, and protector. Um, the, the 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 priest is the one who's ready to to represent God before his people, right? He, he's ready to do that. He's ready to take spiritual theological leadership, um, um, or, or represent his people before God. And the, the prophet is the one who represents God before his people. The provider is the one who's ready to do what is necessary. To provide his people with what they need and the protector is the one who's ready to put himself between his people than anything that would do them harm right um these are character traits and character qualities that that we see and they can manifest themselves um they can manifest themselves early on you know um, so that's what we have to be asking not you know you can have a master's degree and still not have the four P's. And you can have a grade 12 and be ready to get married. Because it's about character. Right? So yeah, a lot of, and a lot of women make that mistake, right? You got a guy with a master's degree who can't keep a job or won't keep a job, you know, and you got another guy and he hadn't graduated from college, but he's a steady worker, right? Good afternoon. Good afternoon. So my question to you, excuse me, 
Uh, my question to you is, what would you recommend for young people to do in that 15-year period? Since um, you've encouraged us to take time if you're not ready, so what would you recommend um, young people do within that 15-year period? Yeah, everything. I mean, serve the Lord. Serve, serve God, serve His people. Um, you know, find your gifts, talents, abilities, desires, and passions, and 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 steward those. Right? Um, think like someone who's going to be married, and prepare for it. That's that's the other thing. You know, you've got people who are like, you know, yeah. So I'm going to be a, a doctor. Oh, really? Yes. So I'm going to do this, right? And then when I finish this, I'm going to do that. And then I'm going to go here and I'm going to do that. And then once I've done that, I'm going to do this. And then I'm going to get into practice and here's the practice that I'm, or a lawyer, you know, and they're like, they've got it all mapped out. And like, you go, okay, are you going to be a husband one day? You're going to be a wife one day? Well, sure. Give me your map for that. <laughs> I mean, we're making no plans. Like, like we'll just magically one day, because we've reached a certain age and a certain socioeconomic status, now we just snap our fingers and we're ready for that. We would never treat the law like that. We would never treat medicine like that. We'd never treat engineering like that. We'd never treat anything else like that. Only marriage, right? So, yeah. Be about that preparation. Yes, here. I think let me ask this question. I was hoping maybe one of the young ladies would ask you. Um, I've been prepared to talk to single young ladies. Yeah. And uh, recently one told me that um, it seems it's a common tendency for young men to date more than one girl at a time. They walk out of uh, the life of one person this week and next week they're dating someone or maybe even before they break up this girl gets to know and she said it's common. But I've also observed that that um, quite a number of our young men who break relationships like now and within no time they are already going out with someone. And I just showed that then this person was already seeing this person. So I don't know what your advice would be to a young man. I know that yeah. you need to do more of the church, but yeah. in a snapshot. Yeah, and, but this goes back to the whole principle. The whole, so here's the question that I'm going to ask. Why is that wrong? Why, why is that wrong? Are we in agreement that it's wrong? Anybody think it's not wrong? Anybody? Didn't like you to raise your hand right now, right? Somebody up here that will not be identified with. But here's why I asked that question. We think that's wrong because we see it as a quasi-marriage. That's the only way that we could think that's wrong. You think 
There's an exclusive covenantal relationship that exists and needs to be honored. You're treating it like marriage. That in and of itself proves my point. So there's a fundamental problem there, right? If we're not ready to be married, then we don't need to be in the kind of relationships where we, we have these ethics around it that look exactly like the ethics around marriage. So you had mentioned when someone asked a question of how to be prepared for marriage. Uh, in answer, you gave the four pieces for a young man who was appropriate to head to home. Yeah. Um, so my question is, what would that look like for a young lady? Yeah. The same. Uh, with the same goal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So a young lady with the same goal. Um, ultimately, what we're looking at is maturity and submission. Godly maturity and submission, right? That's what we're looking for. She's not submissive to her father. She won't be submissive to you. <laughs> he gave her a life and fed her and clothed her. And what are you, cute? Yes, sir. Um, it seems like you, you're saying that boyfriend and girlfriends things are uh, not allowed. So is it okay if I feel like I'm ready to marry to get into someone's relationship and just get the girl because I'm ready to marry? Go for it. <laughs> It's one of my students, by the way. So that's, that's, that's whatever. Yeah, but and then that's the other thing too, right? You have people who are at that place, and and they're ready, but then they're still dragging their feet. I can't, one of the, one of the phenomena, and it's more prevalent here. I, I hear it here all the time, right? Young people are like, I'm getting married. That's awesome. When? 2025. <laughs> what? <laughs> what are you, what? what? Is it a layaway plan? I mean, what, you know, or you, what y'all call it? Layby, whatever. <laughs> Like, no, 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 no. You know how long you need to be engaged? Long enough to plan a wedding. Married in 2020, no. Uh-uh. That, again, that's like, 
I'm going to hold on to this, right? Because I'm selfish and I don't want to let go. I'm still going to be on the lookout in case something better comes around. I won't be honest about that, right? Mm -mm. Ladies, don't let it happen to you. Don't let it happen to you. Somebody come to you talking about 2025. Anyway, okay, next question. Next, next question. Okay. All right. Our time is almost up, but listen, um, be on the lookout. No guarantees, but there may be an actual Song of Solomon conference coming up where we walk through the whole book. Right? Maybe. Maybe. Just, just be on the lookout. Um, in the meantime, I commend it to you with that that outline um, and uh, just encourage you to, number one, know that God has a plan, right? He hasn't just left us wandering aimlessly in the dark. Number two, know that his plan is good. Amen? God's not trying to rob you. He's not. He's not trying to deprive you. Okay, God's got a plan and his plan is good. And the last thing is this. The world desperately needs to hear and to see this good plan. Because ultimately, what is this a picture of? The relationship between Christ and his bride, the church, which looks nothing like what Hollywood sells us but is far more fulfilling, satisfying, and in the end, God glorifying. And that's what we're after. Amen? All right, thank you. Uh, I think at this particular time, I'll ask everyone that we pause for a few minutes just to reflect on uh, what we have learned for this particular day, and thereafter I'll close with a word of prayer. Amen. Well, brethren, we've come to the end of our afternoon service in session. But just be reminded uh, that we are meeting again at uh, 18.30 to 20.30 when we'll be having our last session in our conference. We'd like to thank our pastor, our voting coach, Junior, for that wonderful presentation. I, I wanted to ask something, but I felt <laughs> I felt I should hold it because uh, I'm aware 
that uh, they, they, our children, when we try to advise them on making choices, uh, they always want to experiment. Yeah, so I would encourage uh, all of you, that, that those that have heard uh, this message, that please take your time, good, do a good job, and then commit everything in the hands of God, and then he will guide you. Shall we pray? Our God and our Father in heaven, we come before you once again to bring our thanksgiving to you for the way in which you've been with us uh, since morning up to this time. Lord, indeed, you didn't leave anyone out, especially in the last discussion that we had, that indeed, Lord, you were able to open our ears, our eyes, and our hearts. And therefore, Lord, we bring honor and praise unto your name. We also look forward that indeed, Lord, in the same way that you've been with us uh, this afternoon, Lord, extend it even to the evening, uh, last session that we'll have, that indeed the, the Holy Spirit will be in our midst. Now dismiss us uh, with blessings as we prepare for the last uh, session, as we ask all these things through your Son, Jesus Christ, who is our Lord and Savior, we pray. Amen. Amen. Don't say 